please remember to uh, lift me up. Uh, I started this morning telling the congregation to please excuse the coughing and the sputtering and didn't cough and sputter too much. May the Lord help us uh, tonight. Please turn in your uh, scriptures to uh, Zechariah 14, and uh, it is a, a lesson basically that was mostly prepared uh, beforehand, and uh, we'll either run out of time or run out of notes, and uh, then we'll be done. Uh, well, just read the first eight verses. Behold, a day is coming for Yahweh when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. Indeed, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured and the houses plundered. The women ravished and half of the city will go forth in exile, but those left of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then Yahweh will go forth and fight against those nations as the day when he fights on a day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. And you will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Indeed, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, then Yahweh my God will come with all the holy ones with him. And it will be in that day that there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. And it will be a unique day, which is known to Yahweh, neither day nor night. But it will be that at evening there will be light. And it will be in that day that living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea. It will be in summer as well in, as in winter. Uh, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Our Heavenly Father, we do come to you again. We recognize our uh, weaknesses and infirmities, both uh, physically and spiritually. We ask for the guidance of your Holy Spirit in all things as we open up these words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, for those who have not been with us and uh, for those who uh, attend here but uh, have been in the the members meetings just a brief uh, synopsis of where uh, we have been we are in a compressed period of uh, uh, messianic and uh, fulfilled prophecy Zechariah chapter 9 talks about the king coming on the donkey and then uh, the rest of chapter 9 talks about battle and blessing uh, chapter 10 talks about God battling for his people and then blessing them. Chapter 11 starts with an enmity against false shepherds and uh, eventually uh, Jesus removing all the shepherds and Zechariah, but in there is the prophecy of the 30 pieces of silver. And chapter 9 through 11 began with the title, This is an Oracle. And then chapter 12 and 13 be, is the second oracle, uh, in chapter 12, 1 through 9, there is a battle and blessing again. And chapter 12, verse 10, was the pierced one. And that uh, fulfilled prophecy, you remember, the, uh, the soldier uh, is told, go and see if he's dead. And all he does is take a spear and ram it into Jesus, and that fulfills two prophecies. Not a bone of his will be broken, and they will look on him who he pierced. A random uh, stabbing by the soldier. So there's another prophecy. That's the third fulfilled one. 
chapter 13, verse 1, because of the looking on him who pierced and all the, 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 the mourning that goes on, the uh, uh, chapter 13 says there will be a fountain open for sin and uncleanness. And that fountain, once it's open, never stops. Zechariah could tell the people of his day, 500 years uh, before Christ came, roughly, uh, that a fountain's going to be opened. And I could tell you today that there's a fountain open for sin and uncleanness, and all your sins can be washed away because the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Chapter 13, uh, verses 2 through 6, uh, it seems that the New Covenant community recognizes a false prophet, and their son is a false prophet. They tell him, you're not going to live. And then uh, he kind of goes underground. He doesn't put a mantle on. I think most of you might remember that. From, he doesn't put a mantle on like prophets do. He doesn't act like that. And he comes up with a story. He says, well, I was just a farmer and a slave. I'm not really a prophet. He comes up with a story. And then uh, this morning, uh, we saw that passage almost like poetry, that the sword of Yahweh strikes the shepherd. Uh, if, if you'll notice in your text, in uh, your versions, you'll see it's, uh, it looks like separate. It looks like a poem. It's, it's basically what it is. It's, it's separate. And, and God says, awake, O sword. I'm pulling my sword out of my sheath. What am I going to do with it? I'm going to strike the shepherd. I'm going to strike the one who, who sits with me, who's, who is a part of me. And we looked at how Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies. And uh, we, we also... We also saw that that prophecy came out of the words of Christ himself. Uh, a, a, an amazing situation, isn't it? Prepared the meal. Had the Lord's Supper. All those things went on. Jesus predicted, you'll go and you tell the guy to prepare this room and he'll be there and he'll do it. And then they finished and they sang a hymn and they headed to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said, this night you're all going to leave because of me. There's not going to be one person left. I'm going to be alone. And that is to fulfill this prophecy. Could you imagine that? The illustration is basic, but could you imagine if I told you persecution is coming to Titusville and next week not one of you will show up for church? And that's fulfilled in a prophecy. Can you imagine the shock and how you would feel? But we saw this morning Mark 14, verse 15 says they all left him and fled. There was not one left. And all those people that came up the hill, all those people that came, Jesus was the only one left. And that fulfilled the prophecy. So we see this compressed picture. Six prophecies in the last week of Jesus' life. That has led us to say that what we see now is in the church age from the time of Jesus's death until the time that he returns. Our studies in Revelation have helped us to see the same thing. He died, was rose, and ascended to heaven. The next thing is his return. We scratched the surface this morning on uh, uh, chapter 14. It was just to uh, whet people's appetite uh, way back when, 500 years ago, Martin Luther said, I give up because I'm not sure what the prophet is talking about. So that's the chapter that we're going to go into. We're going to have a little bit of a, an extended uh, uh, review. And to 
to try to nail down some of those pillars that we should rest our understanding on. Uh, Luther uh, was that way. He was outspoken. He was, uh, he was uh, a man of action. Sometimes men of action come to decisions very quickly. They say, I don't know what he's talking about. That's it. I don't really know. But 500 years have helped us to see other things. And other men have come to it and said, well, it might be this and it might be that. And, th and that's the way we're going to go. Uh, the final chapter, uh, we could also say, shows us that through many dangers, toils, and snares, uh, we'll be preserved and protected and kept. Uh, I noticed the, uh, a number of headings, a number of headings in the, in the LSB Bible. The heading for the section is, Yahweh will be king over all. Uh, uh, Mr. Phillips, Dr. Phillips, Pastor Phillips, his beginning of his section says, the Lord will be king. And uh, uh, there's another uh, commentary. And he says his section is, the Lord comes and reigns. A and that's what we have to remember. That is the part that we will be able to understand. At the end of chapter 14, which will not be today, uh, uh, you will understand that God is able to preserve his people through thick and thin, through anything that happens. And you will see, uh, as I say in a, little, in a little while, that Zechariah 14 is like a miniature revelation. Because there's all these symbols and things, there's all this conflict, but, but the, the goal is the same. At the end, at the end, uh, Zechariah 14, 20 and 21, there's holy people walking around. And there's holiness that's there. And, and uh, the end of Revelation, it's the same thing. There's a new city and all holiness and, and all the wickedness is cast out. It's like a, a miniature. It seems to be a chapter that's unique on its own and not like the two oracles. But there is this cycle of battle and blessing and battle and blessing. So it's connected in that sense. It's... <coughs> <coughs> It's, connect <clears throat> it's connected in that sense. <clears throat> and remember, we're not leaving uh, the, 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 the gospel age. Uh, some uh, problems occur when your interpretation takes you from uh, clear passages about Jesus' crucifixion. Then you try to, to fit it into some age that comes way, way ahead. Then you go back to Jesus' crucifixion, a clear passage. Then you try to fit it into some uh, age that goes way, way ahead. It's very, it's very difficult to, to, to do that. So this is the gospel age. The chapters 9 through 13, like we just said, brought us directly into contact with the Messiah and his last week of life. Chapter 14 continues in the church age after his death, resurrection, and ascension. Remember, we, we looked at the shepherd this morning. What does the shepherd do? M Micah says, the shepherd is everlasting. God says, I always plan to send a shepherd like Jesus. The shepherd leader, he's coming. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, and he's going to lead everything. And the New Testament tells us who's going to come back. The chief shepherd. The chief shepherd is coming back. Remember 1 Peter 5, he says, you shepherd the flock of God. That's my responsibility. Shepherd the flock of God because what? The chief shepherd's coming back. So it's, it's that whole uh, time. And all these purposes, 
of God is for the salvation of Jews and Gentiles alike, and it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ the Messiah. It's God's plan to bring, to bring uh, Christ, and it's Jesus' plan also. Uh, Webb says something that's uh, a little striking. Uh, I have to guide you through this because there's a big parenthesis. He's talking about Jesus. This is not only God's plan, but Jesus' plan. His presentation of himself to Israel as the king, promised by God, open parentheses, which he did conspicuously by entering Jerusalem the way he did at the beginning of the Passion Week, close parentheses, brought the covenant relationship between God and Israel to a crisis point. How did Jesus demonstrate who he was? Conspicuously, he says, that's right. And his coming like that brought the relationship of Israel and God to a crisis point. You remember what the people were saying. Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the one who comes, right? The, in David, they understand this is the Messiah. He's connected with David. He's the new king. He's the prophet. Luke says, they said, here's the king. He never denied being a king, but only the kind of king that Yahweh and Jesus designed him to be. John 6, 14 and 15. Uh, this is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. They're right on track, aren't they? They know. But then what happens? Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Is not the king that he wants to be. <clears throat> He's not a physical king, but a spiritual king. And the ultimate ruler over all things in the spiritual realm. John 18, verse 36, he's, he's, talking with, uh, he's talking with Pilate. And Pilate says, you know, are you a king? You know, here's, uh, what, here's what you, everybody's saying. He doesn't deny that he's a king because he can't deny the truth. But what does he say? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. But they don't. And then he underscores it again at the end when he says, but my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, he is coming. He made himself. The uh, Webb says that's right. The goal of the chapter, all those headings say God comes and reigns. But I'm telling you too, Jesus is coming and reigns. And, and that's their plan together. The triumphant entry into Jerusalem is another indication of Jesus' kingship. He fulfills Zechariah's prophecy. He receives the overflowing praise. Uh, Hosanna to the son of, of David. Blessed is the king. And, and then <clears throat> the Pharisees want things to go in a different direction. They really don't want this to be the way it's going to end for them. And they say, don't you hear what they're saying? Rebuke your disciples. Jesus says, no, if I told them to be quiet, even the stones would cry out. Imagine that. Guess that wasn't the answer that they wanted to uh, receive. Tell them to be quiet. It's not going to work. Even the stones would cry out. Even the stones would recognize who I am. Even the stones, he's saying, would give this praise as well. And so there, he's the king, the son of David. There's adoration. He's known as the Messiah and the, and the prophet. 
and it's the, the triune God uh, that is working all these things out. Webb talks about this and the, and the goal. It must culminate with the whole creation worshiping him as king, including and especially his human creation, people of all nations. The movement from the renewal of God's covenant with Israel, chapter 12 and 13, to the inclusion of people of all nations in the blessing of the covenant, chapter 14, is a natural one. Israel was never called into a special relationship with God merely for its own sake. That's important. But for the glory of God and the ultimate blessing of all peoples on the earth. Genesis uh, 12, 3. Uh, Abraham, look at the stars. Look at the sand. That's what your descendants are going to be. Galatians tells us. Galatians tells us that the continuation, the, the completion of those promises are that if you believe you're a child of Abraham. You're a son of the covenant by, by faith. It's not blood, it's belief. Once again, we're reminded that Yahweh is at work. And then another facet of the, of the passage that we need to look at is the use of the words in that day. And uh, it is just uh, frequent. We looked at these uh, uh, in the uh, introduction to the book, and basically we understand maybe not what that day is, but we understand whose day it is that God is in control of all those days. In that day, I'm going to do this. God's the only one that can say that. I plan to go to work tomorrow morning. Well, that's nice, but uh, there's no guarantee. But when God says in that day, there's a guarantee. He doesn't, he doesn't say it like, well, I hope I can get this done. No, everything that God says is going to happen will be accomplished. We've already, we've already seen it, that compressed section. Here comes the king riding on a donkey. Here's this enmity with the prophets. Here's the 30 pieces of silver thrown down. Here's the one who was pierced. Here's the fountain open for sin and uncleanness. Here's, the, here's God striking the shepherd. And Jesus telling the disciples, that's about you. You're going to fulfill a prophecy tonight. That's how God works. That's how he gets things done. An application right here in case I run out of time is God can get done th things in your life. It may not be in your time. It may not be in the way that you would like it. I don't want this disease. I don't want these trials. I don't want these things. But God's will is perfect. And in that day, he will help you. And in that day, he will make his purposes clear. Oh, I wish I understood what this all, all this is. Maybe you won't until you're in glory. But when God says in that day, it means my purposes will not fail. Notice the frequency. Verse 1. A day is coming for Yahweh. Or it's translated the day of Yahweh uh, is coming. The day of the Lord. It's coming for Yahweh to act, or a day that is the day of Yahweh. He knows the day. He knows the events. He sovereignly controls all of the activity. These are his plans, and he knows the days. We already looked at it this morning. Human responsibility and God's uh, sovereignty working side by side. 
Who determined that Jesus would go to the cross? Men or God? Both. Both. Peter tells him in Acts, you by wicked hands crucified him. But what was it done by? The determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. That's what it was done by. And it's not that fake view of foreknowledge that says, well, God looked ahead and then he saw what was going to happen and then he ordained it. That's a lie. That's not true. He planned everything. He purposed everything. And all his purposes are true. Uh, notice in your versions, verse 4, in that day. Verse 6, in that day. Verse 7 is very different and an amazing uh, verse. It shall be a unique day, it says. Uh, the Hebrew literally says a one day. A, a, a day that's just like a one day that's amazing. So the, the translators say it, it'll be unique. Verse 9, a summary verse after all is said and done. Yahweh will be king over all the earth. Yahweh will be one. His name will be one. Uh, that's not happening, is it, in Israel until that time? Uh, if, if you want to put a marker, uh, verse 9 is a marker. Verse 9 is one of those verses that... Uh, Verse 9 is one of those verses that you say, okay, now I understand the goal. And Yahweh will be king over all the earth. In that day, Yahweh will be one and his name one. Well, when is that going to happen? Well, that's, that's one of the markers in chapter 14. That's going to happen at the end. There's no reason for us to, to think that that won't happen until, uh, until that end. That summary verse points us in that direction of hope. I can't wait until Yahweh's name is not blasphemed. We studied that this morning. What does the prostitute have? What's, what's her deal? She's got a cup filled with blasphemies. She's got a whole thing filled with blasphemies. And one day, people will call Yahweh by his right name. And he'll be one and everybody will know it. And, that, and verse 13, in that day. And then verse 20 and 21 they're also unique. Verse 20 begins with, in that day. And the whole prophecy of Zechariah ends with, in that day. And some of the versions, literally, in that day, are the last three words of the book. Other versions, to smooth out the translation, put in that day before the end. <clears throat> but that lets us know. The ruler and overseer of everything will make sure that all things occur according to his purposes, and according to his plans. Now, we're going to come to the end of the notes for pretty soon, but that's the way it goes. Uh, and Webb breaks the chapter down into units, and he uses each occurrence of in that day. And so he says unit one is the first occurrence, and unit two is the second occurrence, etc. Uh, I prefer to do it a little bit differently, but that's why I'm bringing this up to you uh, in the beginning. Now, some characteristics of this uh, chapter. There's really no order. Uh, there are broad, familiar themes. You remember we talk about that in, in prophecy. If, if, if you don't see the broad themes that are familiar, you're, you're trying to figure out the details. I believe uh, that's what we see in Revelation. If you, if, you don't, if you don't understand the broad themes sin and judgment and persecution and the church and Christ's sufferings and death. If you don't understand the broad things, uh, you, don't, 
you can't fit the details and the broad things help the details. You know that guy that uh, has the afro and he's always painting. Well, that's, that's what he does first, doesn't he? He's got the big bright, wide brush and he's doing all this stuff and you're like, what in the world is that? Then you realize all these big strokes that he made fit with the little strokes. Uh, that's, what, uh, that's what's going on. There's broad familiar themes. Uh, chapter 14 is, is rich with symbols. Uh, I said before, it's a miniature book of Revelation. It, it seems like it's compressed because it's just one chapter to cover all these things. Uh, uh, the way that we would look at it, it points to the church versus the world or God's people in general. Whether Jews or Gentiles, it points to their conflict against the world. And then in it, there's markers and milestones along the way, like verse 9. He says, I'm going to come to this point, and God's name will be one, and I'll be one, and everything will be this way. Good. I'm glad. What's the rest of the chapter going to tell me? There is also context and continuation, like I said, and it's all headed towards Yahweh's appointed end. He's going to do it. And uh, uh, more, uh, more says, uh, this chapter is one of those portions of Scripture which like sealed orders to a vessel, which are not to be opened until a certain latitude is reached and can only be read in perfect comprehension after the church has reached a point of our, our history yet future. Well, that's an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? Here's the, here's the commander and the captain of this ship, and they give him orders, and they just say, head so-and-so, and when you get to so-and-so, then open the orders, then you'll know what you're supposed to do. Well, the chapter is like that. If we, if we make it to verse 5, I just kind of say, I'm not sure. Uh, I, didn't have the, I didn't have time or I didn't have this. But th there's a little bit of uh, uh, Luther in there, isn't there? It's like, I'm really not sure. Uh, and that's okay because we can think through. Remember the broad strokes. But also, remember what he says. It's to be read in perfect comprehension after the church has reached a point of her history. He's, he's attaches this chapter to the church. Until the seal is removed at the appointed time, we can only conjecture the full meaning of the predictions and await the clearer light of the future. Well, if God's going to wrap everything up and everything's going to be holy and good at the end, that's, that's fine. That's the book of Revelation. But he's saying, well, we have to wait. We got these sealed orders. And we have that anticipation, don't we? What's next? What's in God's plan? What's next? That's good. That's good, but look at the broad strokes. What God tells me is that Christ is a savior and he's gonna save everybody. Everything's gonna work out in the end. Will somebody put my, a gun to my head and say, if you profess Christ, we'll kill you? I don't know, but if they do, I'll know that that'll be the way that God brings me into heaven. It, it, will there be persecution so strong that we'd be afraid to come to this place? We don't know, but we will know that through all those things, many dangers, toils, and snares, We'll, be, we'll get there. He says, after the church, after the church, and after seeing the detail that's in this prophecy of the last week of the Messiah's life, it seems like that's a comfortable place to, to be, isn't it? Well, all these things happened in the last week of Jesus' life, and now there's predictions about the future, so that must be the church age. That's the, that's the, way, that's the way we're going. So general facts and characteristics then, there's a wide combination, uh, there's a, uh, a, a, he calls it a wide combination against the church. There's many things. This is his, uh, 
This is his uh, outline, you might say. There's times of trouble. God destroys enemies. He establishes the church in permanent glory. He inflicts enduring punishment, and then he brings about a state of holiness. The, the end of the chapter in verse uh, 20 and 21 is, is amazing. In that day, there will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to Yahweh, and the pots in the house of Yahweh will be like the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to Yahweh of hosts, and all who sacrifice will come and take of them and boil in them. And there will be no longer be a Canaanite in the house in that day. There's not going to be any mixture anymore. There's only going to be one people doing one thing, and it's symbolic language. It's symbolic language, but that's the goal. Verse 9 is that, is that hopeful little thing. There'll be one name, one, uh, one God. So into chapter 14 itself. Uh, first of all, the prediction uh, of battle, verses 1 and 2. And there is a pause uh, for us to take notice. It says, behold. Beholds are important. Uh, Matthew uses them in the New Testament. We've seen a number of beholds in our study, the minor prophets. Behold. <coughs> a day is coming for Yahweh, or the day of the Lord is, is coming. Uh, and translations aside, this is the day uh, of Yahweh's activity. He is the active agent. He is the one who works all things according uh, to the counsel of his will, Ephesians says. It's his day, and it's his actions. But secondly, there are gruesome events uh, predicted. Verse 1, uh, spoil shall be taken and be divided among you. And uh, Trapp puts this picture clearly. He says the conquerors will divide the spoil freely and fearlessly, none rising up to make them afraid. The vanquish shall be disabled and dispirited. Can you imagine that if if uh, there was a battle and somebody took over uh, and destroyed Forest Trace Circle and then came into our house and I was so defeated and dispirited that they would literally just plunder it in front of me. And just say, you, you just sit there. And I would say, no, I'm defeated. I can't do anything. Well, that's, that's the picture. He says, I'll bring all nations against Israel uh, to battle. And uh, this is one of the mysterious, uh, uh, this mysterious passages. Uh, I think the majority says this is most likely the Roman invasion, uh, the siege and the destruction of Jerusalem. You remember that uh, Jesus said that uh, Jerusalem did not know the time of her visitation. Matthew 23 and verse 36, he talks to the, to the Pharisees about them being persecutors of the prophets from day one till the last he says, from Abel to this Zechariah, he says, you kill them all. And then he says, judgment is coming upon this generation. He brings it that close. And then in Matthew 23 and verse 38, he sums it up after he, he weeps over Jerusalem. He says, behold, your house is left to you desolate. So I think uh, there is some uh, good uh, evidence to think that that is the final thing. They rejected the Messiah. They killed the prophets. Uh, they did not want to uh, uh, listen to what Jesus said. They didn't want to listen uh, to his claims. 
and uh, uh, they were uh, uh, defeated uh, once again. Uh, verse 2 points out the, the gruesome details of, uh, of this battle. These things, according to some historians, are some of the, the things that actually happened. We have, in our study, the Minor Prophets looked at some of these things where they talk about your children being dashed and there, there's no, there's no, there's no holds barred in, in war. There's no holds barred in, uh, in, in biblical warfare and conquest. It doesn't matter if you're a child or a woman or, or what, uh, you, you'll be killed. Uh, you can see it says half the city. Uh, you can see it says half the city. The danger is to say that this is literal, right? And God figured out, okay, this is just half the city. And now that that's, it's a, uh, it's symbolic, most likely, but the, the records of that slaughter indicate there was a great slaughter. And there's those that are left, says, won't be cut off. And, he, and this God always has a portion left. Do we hear that over and over and over, don't we? You're going to be judged, but a remnant will return. You're going to be judged, but this. Romans 9, Paul puts it so clear, doesn't he? He says, You'd be like Sodom and Gomorrah if the Lord didn't intervene. There wouldn't be one person left. You're so rebellious. If God didn't intervene, you'd be like them. Everyone to the last man destroyed. The last woman destroyed. And it's God's mercy that, that saves people and, and keeps them uh, in his protection. It's his sovereign mercy. My judgment is coming again, but it's not coming on everybody. If we, if we go back to our reviewing of past, present, and future, remember the past, there was always judgment and deliverance. The northern kingdom, judged. We saw that in our studies. Judah, judged. That's where we are. We're in Judah in post-exilic times. Babylon destroyed the place. And, and we're here with post-exilic prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. That, that's what's left. Remember the discouragement. Remember how down they were. Remember they needed to be encouraged. Yes, Nehemiah is coming. They're going to build back the walls, but it'll never be the same. But think about deliverance. Think what happened to, to Pharaoh. Uh, think about what happened to Sennacherib. The guy standing there at the wall saying, don't trust God. We've defeated all the nations around you. And don't let Hezekiah lead you astray. Don't let him tell you this, that, and the other thing. They, they literally tell the guy, could you please not say that? Talk in a different language. And he says, I'm not going to do that. I want everybody in that city to be scared that we're coming. And 185,000 of them died that night. Remember that prophecy, right? Tomorrow, tomorrow, there'll, there'll be things out there. In the present, we're in post-Babylonian exile. They were judged, but... Babylon is gone. We saw that. The Assyrians came, wiped out Babylon. And then the Assyrians said, yeah, you can go back. Uh, Jerusalem, barely hanging on. In the future, if this is the destruction by Rome, there's one more catastrophic judgment. But it's different because it's the entire Jewish system gets wiped out. There's no more temple. There's no more sacrifices. There's no more priests. There's no more anything. Everything, the system gets wiped out. Why? Uh, in God's providence, Jesus Christ becomes the prophet, priest, and king. We don't need anybody to offer a sacrifice. There's only one sacrifice. 
We don't need anybody to take my prayers and, and intercede and listen to them. There's only one mediator. And, and though his king, his kingship isn't completely understood right now, when he came that day and said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that kingdom started that day. Isaiah 9 says, of that kingdom, there will be no end. And when Jesus comes at first, the kingdom starts. And the people knew it. Who are you? You're the son of David. You're the king. That's what they looked for. That's what they thought that he would be. But maybe they thought he would be a physical king. Acts chapter 1, the disciples are still hanging on, aren't they? Are you this day going to restore things? And he says, no. The gospel's got to get preached. That is the incursion of the new kingdom. That is the conquering Christ. Jesus conquers in the hearts of sinners when he lets them know, you are bad. You are sinful. But I have paid for your sins. I have paid so that you can believe and all your sins get wiped away. That's ruling and reigning in the hearts of people, isn't it? That's the spiritual kingdom. It's not of this world. And all the talk about white horses and armies and everything, I just don't get. Because that day, 3,000 souls were saved. One sermon, what happened? They were pricked in their hearts. And they understood Jesus Christ is the only Savior for men. And the entire system got taken away, but then there's future deliverance for God's people. And then Yahweh goes forth and fights, uh, verses 2 through 5. Uh, notice the picturesque language. It's, a, it's a, a directed attack back against the nations who once attacked the, those people. And now Yahweh says, he says to Jerusalem, I'm going to send all the nations against you. And then he turns it around and says, I'm going to fight against all the nations. And then here's that specific battle picture. Uh, uh, put very uh, graphically Yahweh will go forth and fight against those nations as the day when he fights on the day of battle there, there's no staging of armies there's no Philistines lined up over here and other people lined up over here this is God saying now is the time that I'm going to uh, battle uh, notice the, the picture of the powerful action Yahweh's feet stand on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives in verse 4 and 5, it, it splits and a very large valley gets open. And, and it seems, notice, that those left of the people, verse 2, will flee by the valley of the mountains and God provides a way out. Uh, once again, I think it's a, a symbol. You, you know that you know the psalm talks about he uttered his voice and the earth what? melted you ever see the earth melt it's a picture of how much power is used could you imagine anybody who could stand on the top of a mountain and have it split open the the picture i believe uh, is that god is going to save that remnant and give them a way uh, to escape and notice notice it's probably allusion to chapter 6 verse 1 where there's those two bronze mountains and the chariots and the vision come out it's, it's a sign that God has, has split those mountains and, uh, uh, and, and done a great work. And uh, right, right now, I am running out of all the notes that I had uh, uh, to put hastily together. But 
But th that's what God is doing. Now, notice, uh, nobody is sure about the place Azel that's mentioned there. There, there was a man who had six sons whose name was Azel, but the location uh, is not there. And he says, you will flee uh, as in the days of Uzziah when there was an earthquake. Now, back then, back then, they didn't understand earthquake technology. Maybe they didn't understand building technology as we do, because where are we told to go when there's an earthquake? Into the middle of the house where there's a, some kind of structure, right? Well, well, they didn't know that, and they didn't do that, uh, because uh, if there was an earthquake, the building would fall down on you. So you ran as fast as you could away from structure. That's what you did. You, you got out of there. So this earthquake that's mentioned, this sudden earthquake, you just ran fast. And uh, here it seems like it seems like this uh, is uh, God's way of saying you are going to run and be saved from these things that are going to happen. The nations are going to come and, and they're going to fight against you. But Yahweh is going to come and he is going to fight as on the day of battle. He'll do these miraculous things and, and separate these uh, mountains. And he'll do all these things and open this valley and you'll go running right through to safety just like that day. And then he says something that I don't understand yet. He says in the end of verse 5, Then Yahweh my God will come with all the holy ones with him. And I don't understand that yet, and I have to study some more. But this sudden transition could mean that he comes with angels. It, he comes with all the saints on the last day. It, 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 it's a little bit hidden. But as we finish, if we just look at uh, verses 6 through 9, uh, we can kind of get some, uh, some ideas. Because here's our, here's our miniature revelation. And it will be in that day that there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. Well, the revelation tells us you don't need the sun and the moon anymore. And it will be a unique day, which is known to Yahweh, neither day or night, but it will be that at evening time there will be light. Well, that's impossible. But when Christ and God are the light, it'll always be light. And verse 8, and in that day, Living waters will flow out towards Jerusalem. It really does point to the gospel, it seems, doesn't it? Half of them towards the eastern, other half towards the west. And it'll be in summer as well as winter. There's an in, there's a eternal, over, always flowing, uh, always flowing uh, stream of water that's flowing out. Uh, it, it does point to these pictures of the, the Spirit or Jesus uh, as water. You remember the woman at the well. And Jesus says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask him to give you a drink and you would never thirst again. And she says, great, then I don't have to come walking up here all the time. She misses the point. But it's, it's spiritual waters of refreshment. To me, it seems like the gospel. And I think those verses... Read back into verse 5, even though I don't understand who verse 5 is talking about. And then, and then there's, the, there's the, uh, the summary. What's going to happen in the end? Verse 9. Yahweh will be king over all the earth in that day. Yahweh will be the only one and his name one. And that day 
is a day for all of us to look forward to. That day is a day for us to, to hope for and anticipate. Peter says that the, the world's going to be dissolved in a day, and he says, hasten the day. How, how can I hasten the day? I can hasten it by anticipating. I can hasten it by praying. I can hasten it by witnessing to others. I can hasten it by being in the church. Because those things help me to endure. Those things help me. And, and uh, whatever verse 5 says, verse 6, 7, 8, and 9 just seem to pour out gospel pictures uh, uh, into our hearts and minds. If, if, there's, if there's any application, and I really didn't uh, have time to, to figure some out, if there's any application, it's that God is going to preserve his people right to the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your many mercies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.